This is Jonathan Matos. And this is Melissa Matos. And this is Unboxing Story. Um, we both really enjoy uh, podcasts, um, and we often have conversations about the stories that we enjoy. Uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah, this is my other sister. Uh, uh, shout out to Sarah Scudder. Woo-woo. Um, <laughs> uh, Melissa's been watching a lot of uh, Star Trek recently, and um, what it kind of got us doing was talking about how sci-fi has changed over the years and um, what we like about different sci-fi stories. That's the cool thing about that show is that um, it's it's taking that that basic premise of these people are in a spaceship exploring the galaxy and um, it took that and did different types of like you know different types of stories and, and you can criticize that show for going to like we're gonna mess with the uh, simulate what is it called holodeck holodeck <laughs> they did a lot of like uh, crazy stuff at, at some point they go back to the 50s yeah, so deep, it's just it's a good nine. mixture of adventure type sci-fi and uh, speculative sci-fi and mm-hmm. you know trying to be deep with it but also right. having fun with it other times. Yeah, it was a good spread. <laughs> so, uh, in the vein of that, um, we decided we would take a look at some of the pop culture, uh, be it movies, books, um, whatever we're enjoying, enjoying, celebrating uh, in our personal lives and in, in our personal discussions and bring it to you guys as um, a way to show um, you know what are, what are the deeper conversations behind writing because personally um, my favorite book is Fahrenheit 451 and we were talking about doing that uh, as an episode because they're uh, doing a, a movie on HBO um, that kind of um, to me brings the tone of when I read the book what I feel um and it's, it's very uh, dark, but it um, also is really heartfelt because uh, the meaning behind it, if you've never seen it um, or seen the, the weird 60s movie or read the book, um, it's uh, really about uh, people who love books so much that when society outlaws them and, you know, they burn down houses with people inside that have books... Um, they they're willing to die for the stories that they tell and uh, Ray Bradbury the author that wrote it um, in in that book he celebrates uh, what conversations come from um, those books and it's more really the it's not just about like oh I like books <laughs> it's um, what do stories do for people and um, what kind of connections have we lost as a society because we um, have cars that drive you know hundreds of miles an hour and have TVs that are that take up a whole wall um, and you know the sci-fi elements in it are really to stress you know the changes in society so um, but I saw also in addition to you're talking about the importance of story mm-hmm. um, I actually just saw a story a personal anecdote about someone who survived the Holocaust. Mm. And they also were not allowed to have a lot of books, especially if not, if they were living in the Jewish ghettos. There was a girl in the ghettos who had a copy of Gone with the Wind, Mm. and she would hide at night and read parts of it. 
and spend the next day telling the story to her friends. Mm. And that's part of what helped them get through the horribleness of what they were living through. Mm -hmm. So the idea of story being that important to people is amazing to me and it's mm-hmm. true it, like it's a it's a real life thing it's not just a science fiction mm-hmm. thing yeah it's not just escapism which we're going to talk about today <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, one of the major topics of this episode because um, we both saw uh, Ready Player One yesterday and uh, going into it I, I have been um, watching a lot of online reviewers and it seems like there's a big movement of um, people being critical of the, the mass consumerism that surrounds movies now because Disney owns Marvel and uh, uh, Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> and uh, because all those big blockbuster movies are really all that you see in, in mass uh, movie theaters, um, there's been this counterculture movement online to say, well, you know, I don't really want to see another movie where the, the whole city is blown to smithereens and then the hero makes out with the girl at the end um, because um, really they look that, at that and all they think is like, well, that's uh, placating the viewer rather than um, really trying to do something different, unique. Um, and so with Ready Player One, the consensus was... Um, this is Warner Brothers just taking all of their licensed characters, all these characters that you know and love, and making this big stupid movie <laughs> that has Iron Giant, you know, blasting people away with a Tommy gun or something. Um, and so the, a lot of those little moments that are in the movie uh, were were taken and used as like kind of like a, a political statement or something about. Um, about our society making consumerism instead of making art Is right the idea right so personally I I really enjoyed the Marvel movies um, and when I look at them I see uh, the root of them uh, because I, I was a fan of the comics um, I'm still a, a fan of them and I feel like Stan Lee when he started to write them he was trying to say like okay this person is has superpowers, but what is the teenager that always has things going wrong for him, who, like, has a terrible dating life and has a terrible job, um, what do they really want to see? And so he came up with Spider-Man, and, you know, he, he wanted to inject some kind of humanity into, um, escapism, and I, I personally feel like Ready Player One did a really good job doing that, um, because, as my sister was saying, when I was saying, well, it's about escapism and, uh, and capitalism, and um, <laughs> she was saying, but it's also about connections, and um, to get into the um, characters and how it um, makes that point. The main character, I I forgot his name. I was going to write it down. Wade. Um, Wade Watts. Yeah, he is uh, obsessed with the same um, nostalgic um, video games and movies and things that. Uh, this um, inventor. Uh, well, why don't you give the the, the basic plot, the basic plot <laughs> and, and character development because I, I, you read the book, so <laughs> right. Well, I, hopefully we will get into a little bit more on comparing the book to the movie too, toward the end. Uh-huh. Um, but the main idea is that uh, Wade Watts, who 
has kind of a sucky life, and the world itself has kind of gone down even worse than it has today. And um, in order to really live, him and most of the world has escaped into the Oasis, which is a massive virtual reality existence where everyone can sort of customize their own place to be. So on some levels, it is sort of an escapist where place to go, but it is also where they, they do most of their lives now. Like, he goes to school in the Oasis. Mm-hmm. He is... his uh, A lot of people's jobs are on the Oasis. Like, mm-hmm. it's not... You know, most of real life is now there. Right. Um, but he discovers... Oh, well, the, the main thrust of the story is there is a contest that the creator of the Oasis has put out for anyone to try, um, and the winner, sort of Willy Wonka style, gets the whole shebang. If they win, they become the ruler of the Oasis, basically. Right. Um, and there's this massive divide between the people who are trying to win the contest because they love the Oasis and what it represents and the creator of it versus this massive corporation that is trying to win the contest for the money. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the main motivation in everything right. is winning this contest. Yeah, so in my opinion, it it, um, it seems like people are using this as an example to say, like, why well, want more little indie movies that are made for, you know, a million dollars and, and star James Franco? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, like, it, it seems like there's a lot of misplaced anger at movies like this because I feel like there are movies um, like... Say a Transformers, or um, like, well, what's another good? Are there any? Are there any things that you can think of that were like you saw coming? Because it started with me with the Karate Kid. That was the first re. Because I used to, my main thing was like growing up. I was like, I would watch an older movie and be like disappointed if it was adapting something that I'd read and like, well, I picture it as this big epic thing, and. They could only do so much at, at the time, right. you know. So, uh, reading a comic book, say, and then seeing Spider-Man actually swing around in real life, that was, you know, it was everything to me. Um, but then, uh, when I started seeing stories that I actually did appreciate that more and more subtle, like Karate Kid, and then I see another thing that's like, um, you know, it's different. They're trying to do something different, but it seems like uh, it, it doesn't appreciate the level of... Are you talking of, specifically about, like, rebooting something, or... or? Well, um, well, it, it can go either way. Either something that has been rebooted where you feel like, oh, they're just making this to for this generation to have the same thing, and either they're not doing anything different, uh, that, that seems to annoy some people, um, or it's something like, um, like Transformers, where it might have been a show in the past... And now they're making a big budget action movie out of it. Um, uh, like recently, I think the um, Jumanji did a pretty good job because they they wanted to reboot the Jumanji series to make it for like today's kids, um, and in doing so, they made it a video game movie. Right. Uh, and so they took elements that worked from the original thing, and they did change it to make it like a comedy. Um, but there were, like, well-developed characters. And, right. They made, um, and it was still a good story. Yeah. So, 
So there are examples of taking an idea or, or an IP, I guess we're going with, right? Like with this brand right. and saying, we're going to make it for this generation. And some levels you can see, well, obviously they have no idea what this brand really meant. <coughs> Gem and the holograms. <laughs> that's what I was about to say. It was Gem and the holograms, which was horrifying. <laughs> or um, versus something like Star Trek, where the first reboot for Star Trek was still, we know these characters and we love these characters and we're going to give them to you, even though it's in a very different way than they were presented mm-hmm. before. Or, like, Jumanji, you know. Right. There are some things where that you can tell the people cared about the original property. idea, the original property, and yeah. says, we're going to still do this, but update it some right. for this generation. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best examples is, like, Sherlock. Mm. Sherlock is... I mean, Sherlock Holmes is such an iconic thing, and so many people are so very, almost rabid about the way you present Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes. But... Sherlock really understood a lot of the relationships and a lot of the behaviors of the original, like, Victorian mm-hmm. characters, right. and said, if those guys existed today, what would they be like? Right. And totally nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think they did a good job. So, but the... the but there hasn't been... Has there been... Because I, I would say that a lot of people are... At least represent themselves online <laughs> as being deeply offended by when, like, um, something like... Like, in this movie, I saw a tweet about Iron Giant becoming a gun and shooting some, like, oh, this robot thing. And so they were saying, you're not honoring the character of Iron Giant by doing that. But that kind of thing, if in the story there's a purpose for it, right. it doesn't offend me. Right. It's and especially just... since, so, so the thing with this movie that makes it different than a lot of the other kinds of things that do this. This wasn't just a straight, we're going to reboot... X property and give you that thing's story. This was, we're going to show you all the things people loved about their childhood Mm -hmm. and show you them being able to own that and beat down someone who doesn't understand it. Right. Which is basically what that big final fight was. Mm -hmm. That corporation was trying to keep everything for themselves and take it over and make it this big advertising fund, you know, for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and everybody else was like, no, this is my fandom, and I will die defending my fandom. Right. So, using the Iron Giant as a gun in that case wasn't like, oh, well, obviously the Iron Giant is supposed to represent violence. That right. wasn't it, the point It's there. not saying Iron Giant is a power fantasy. No. And it's saying, I love the Iron Giant, and I think it would be the coolest thing in the world to have one for real. Right. And if that means I have to beat you down with one, <laughs> then I will. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I feel like that was something I didn't know about the franchise going in. It, it wasn't something that people were, I think, accurately representing it, it in their criticisms. Um, because really, to me, it was about um, having a value, even if that value is, you know, imagination, creativity, um, and, and um, you know, exploring with your mind this thing that doesn't really exist. Um, even if that's, uh, and, and they do deal with the ways in which that can be a negative, um, because, uh, uh, what I, I appreciate with the, how the plot carries through the movie, um, and not really a spoiler, but in terms of the, it, it was, I wasn't expecting it to be a mystery, um, and, and the fact that, well, I, I knew, I heard that there were puzzles in the book, um, but I didn't realize that, uh, really what he's doing is 
retracing the life of the inventor and seeing the ways in which making his whole life about this, uh, the Oasis, affected him personally and the, the errors that he made in doing that. And so it explores having this kind of nihilistic shutting off of every other person that genuinely cares about you in order to protect this little fiction that you've made for yourself versus we're sharing this fiction together yeah. and it's through this fiction that we can connect with each other. Right. Um, and so, yeah, and, and it's embodied by a capitalist person that wants to make it all about just making money for himself um, and is thus trying to ruin the game that all these people really love because um, it's the way to find people like them and find commonalities with each other as opposed to um, just escaping, you know, into their little um, hobby hole. <laughs> right. And I, I really appreciated the way that they made it. So they did show both extremes. They showed, okay, this is what happens if you're only in it to make you money. Mm-hmm. But also the people that were representing the good guys who were in it because they loved this fandom, also they were showing how each of them had something they wanted to hide about themselves. Mm. And so being able to be on an imaginary place where they could present themselves however they wished mm-hmm. was in some ways freeing for them, but also in some ways bad for them. Right. Because you have to still remember this isn't real. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the point near the end is make sure you shut down and go back to reality. Right. Because the real life is what actually matters. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the point that the creator of the Oasis eventually realized and, and the point that the main characters eventually realize. Right. Is they do still have to exist in real life and the real life is the important part. Mm-hmm. Even though you have the chance to be anything you want and you can create anything you want and you can live in this amazing, fantastical world, mm-hmm. it isn't real. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that the... Um, it's, it's, it's hard adapting a book, I'll give them that, because there, I'm sure there, there was a lot more in terms of the world building that you get from the book that you don't in the movie. I would say one of the weaker things for me was the... Um, I, I liked a lot of the idea of like there's part of the world and part of the economy that exists within the game. And so they do show, like, at school, they're all in this classroom, and then all of a sudden, uh, the main character, Wade, um, discovers the first key, and that's, like, his first clue into solving the riddle that will eventually lead to um, Wonkaville. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But uh, when that happens, they all start surrounding this one kid with an iPad or whatever, and so, um, it, I, I liked those little moments, and, and uh, eventually you find out what are the characters, spoiler alert, um, they, uh, their parents, um, uh, were so in debt, uh, through the, the evil company in this, in this movie, um, that they eventually weren't able to, like, they were put in, like, a debtor's yeah. prison type yeah. equivalent, um, and to me, like, that, that to me hinted at this deeper problem where uh, kids nowadays, kids my age, <laughs> my peers, they're all children, um, we, we're being told that um, we should learn these highly sophisticated software programs and become experts um, in this new economy, while at the same time uh, having a lot of debt that we're trying to pay off. Um, so it, it there's kind of this idea where 
um, there are, there is a lot of access to cameras and, um, graphic software and things where, um, people my age and your age, uh, are very comfortable with technology and see it as this creative outlet, um, while at the same time dealing with reality, um, in terms of relating it to debt. I personally am a fan usually of sci-fi that deals with those things in allegory where it's like a direct translation um, because I feel like that offers some catharsis to the person watching when they can see, oh, like that's that's a problem that I actually have and um, there's some kind of... Um, the, the character uh, becomes more relatable but also um, you get... Uh, the that commentary uh, part of it and so the fact that it didn't always uh, relate in, in, in those types of ways like the town that he lives in is very otherworldly in terms of you know there's there's um, garbage piled up and people live on like what stacks looks like of, stacks of trailer park yeah. basically um, that that was kind of like set up as like a whimsical environment in like the beginning scenes um but then becomes very real when you meet his his family um so it, it's an interesting it, it had a tonal balance uh thing in parts um and it, it, it is hard when you're dealing with such high fantasy to do that so I feel like it didn't it didn't like fail in, in any way it wasn't like you know laughable um but those were the things where I was kind of like, wow, yeah, you're going to do that in this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's going to be hard for you now. <laughs> like, that's a burden I don't want to bear. Um, yeah, and that's one of the benefits of having read the book as well. Mm -hmm. um, the book goes into a lot more detail of what his real life was like and what his childhood was like mm -hmm. and why he was the way he was and where he was. Right. Um, and actually, it, it takes more time to explain the situation of reality and why things mm -hmm. are the way they are. Right. Um, to some extent, that those were some of the parts of the book that I didn't like. I mean, I liked that okay. they explained his life and explained the background, but there were several parts in the book that were basically rants about current political things <laughs> and, and stuff like that, which I could have done without. Not that he doesn't have a right to show his opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and it could have been more the character's voice who was ranting, right. but still... It was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, we know life sucks. <laughs> Let's get to the fun parts. Right. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that that's the struggle. Um, and it, kind of a, as a way to wrap this up, there are things like this that, that do pay tribute to um, different genres. One that comes to mind is um, Scream. Uh, has a lot of self-referential things, but the, the work that that does, or say like something like Deadpool where you... There's a lot of meta stuff going on um, that's commenting on the genre that you're watching. A lot of those are comedy first, and uh, they might, you know, you need to have a character that you can sympathize with, and so it does the work to get you to like the people in it, but it's not necessarily concerned with um, building some kind of larger commentary, whereas with this, there is a lot of little themes that they're trying on and because it's based on a book Spielberg decided oh you know I'm going to give this character a moment and that character a moment and so 
those moments work. I th- I just think that, like you like you're saying, is a problem in the book when you're balancing high fantasy and some kind of social commentary. It's very difficult to um, balance those those things. Like right. it's not not something that comes easy. Um, I had one follow up question for you. Sure. Put um, me on the hussy. <laughs> Since this is. And, and the movie doesn't focus quite as much on it, but the book is definitely clear that this is very much about the 80s. Mm. And the nostalgia part focuses mostly on being obsessed with the 80s. Right. And you were not alive in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to see if you thought that detracted at all from it for you, or if it wasn't quite the same, oh, I love that fandom thing for you. Uh-huh. Although they did put, I think, more modern things in the movie than Yeah, no, there the definitely book. were um there were there were things that popped up that were basically like we know there are some nineties kids in the audience so we're gonna pop in well th- that that's the funny thing is that uh to to answer your question, it wasn't anything that like alienated me. I mean some of the some of the music I I've heard because they were mostly like top one hundred hits, so it's like right. stuff that I knew. It wasn't necessary, and I and I appreciated that, uh, like, say something something recently that that bothered me was in this Suicide Squad movie, the first the way that they they basically I don't know if you've heard about this they took a trailer company, and they gave them the movie to edit, so the reason why the first third of that movie is just music videos for each specific <laughs> character is because it was is because basically is they're trying to sell you on the movie that you're While watching. you're watching the movie. So, like, that was really annoying to me, because I'm just like, why why are you setting this up? This, like, it was an awkward thing to do, so that kind of, it wasn't jarring, like, the way that the music was underneath that. It wasn't, like, you know, hitting me in the face with that, and that was probably the least that I knew in the movie. Um, but stuff like Ninja Turtles and Gundam all had iterations within the 90s that I grew up with. Uh, and that I was familiar with, and that, because there are a lot of people that are writing now, and hosting podcasts now, and things like that, that grew up in that time, I've heard those references, and it was kind of, like, cool to see, you know, from that, and personally, what I was surprised by, and excited by, was that there's a big part of it that is, uh, The Shining, and Which I was not fair, because that wasn't <laughs> in the book, and I was not expecting that, and it was terrifying. And she, has, she hasn't seen the movie yet. No, I, I don't only know that watched I want it. to now. <laughs> I only watched it a few months ago, and I, like, fell in love with it. Um, and it, they made it really look like The Shining. Um, so the, I think everybody that goes to this movie, there will be something that tugs at you that way. Um, there's stuff from Godzilla, everything from that to yeah. Battletoads. Like, so it's a big plethora of things. So there wasn't, um, there wasn't that kind of like dissonance where it felt like they're trying to get you to watch it and screw the nineties and like, you know, all the young kids. Um, I feel like there is some of that type of thing in something like Deadpool where they're like making fun of like youth culture, like the girl, like, Uh, Oh, go ahead and tweet that. Um, you know, so there, there's. Yeah, I thought the movie was pretty well inclusive, but I just wanted yeah. to see because I, I mean, for me, the the second the music starts, it was like, oh my gosh, this is my childhood, and I love this, and right. I was ready to geek out. So I wasn't sure if, if other people would have the same experience. Right. But that's what I would say in in conclusion. 
Um, it, it is something that deals with nostalgia, but it is a story. It's not just trying to get you to um, get pop vinyls of Bowie, which, <laughs> which I my sister did. So, ironically, uh, you know, there are, but that's the thing, is that there are people that um, that want to go back into these things and that are, like, overjoyed with the fact that this stuff is cool and, you know, that uh, the writing has allowed for, um, um, the writing in Hollywood, rather, has allowed for nerdy things to become the mainstream. Um, and so... Yeah, because let me tell you, this movie would never have come out when I was a kid. Yeah. So I, I don't think that it's fair for people to characterize Ready Player One in the same category as, like, Battleship and, like... Oh, no, no. All these things that are, like... Yeah, that that should stay a board game because it... Because <laughs> that really... Sure is that that a no story there. There is a difference between using your nostalgic things to tell a good story and just using nostalgic things. <laughs> right, like 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 those little mobiles that you buy a baby where it's like, oh, look, it's a Chucky yeah, doll. No. I remember that. Uh, like, that's kind of... Yeah. Um, so are there any anything else you want to say that that I might have talked over no I think I think we covered all the bases um it was a fun movie I think anybody who remembers the 80s or is is mentioned the 90s and and had a fandom that they loved would enjoy it even if you just want to see somebody racing a DeLorean you'll enjoy it (laughs) um and it was it was a good story it brings out a lot of good points and uh hits home in a lot of good ways yeah all right so thank you for listening and uh we'll see you on the next episode which as far as i know is going to be um annihilation came out uh, a few weeks ago uh but uh melissa and i read the book so that much, might be the um, so much to talk about in that story. the uh what what's the name of that that sci-fi author that lovecraft love yeah lovecraft that might be on the lovecraft episode, episode. Yeah, um, but anyway, uh, that's a little preview. Thank you for listening, and uh, see you next time. Bye.